We're taking a, uh, a quick break from our um, series on the anointing to do whatever that was. Um, we are going to be uh, speaking specifically about um, a sermon that's more related to the season, the Christmas season this morning, a sermon called The Gift. Uh, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse number 38. If you want to stand to your feet with me for the reading of the word this morning, we'll go ahead and jump right into it. Oh, we didn't send the buckets around yet? Oh, okay. I thought that was happening while the kids were... All right, let's go ahead and do that. Yeah, before I preach, is that way. Uh, while you're doing that, I'll go ahead and pray. Uh, we'll pray over the tithe and offering this morning. You can pray with your eyes open if uh, the, the bucket hasn't passed your way yet. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you this morning. Father, we thank you for your mighty word. God, we thank you for the ability to give uh, for each and every person that has to give this morning. Lord, we know it's only because you've given us the ability to attain uh, whatever level of substance that we have, Father. And we, uh, we gladly give it back to you. And we pray this morning that your word, uh, the blessings of your word would be present upon the giving, upon the tithe, upon the offering, uh, that truly it would go into um, to building and fulfilling the vision that you've given us for Edgewater Church and the surrounding community here. But also we believe uh, your scripture that we read this morning in the book of Luke, Father, that it shall be given back and that as uh, we give to you, we would increase and uh, have the ability to give more and more. And we thank you and we praise you for that ability. And we thank you for the wisdom of your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift. Everybody say the gift of the Holy Ghost. You may be seated this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is a keynote scripture for any New Testament believer. And of course, when I say that, we believe in the Old and the New Testament, but we are under the New Covenant. For any of us in the room that adhere to the Holy Scriptures, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is the closest that you get to a three-step plan as to what it is that God gave us his son for, or you could just say in a more general scope, what it is that God wants to do with us. His plan is for us to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that our sins can be remitted and for the purpose of us receiving a special gift that he has for each and every one of us called the Holy Ghost. If you've never been in a spirit-filled church, you might have heard it referred to as the Holy Spirit. It's the same word. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, all different terms for the same thing. Acts chapter 2 verse 39 points out exactly to whom this gift is meant to be given. Because there are debates within the body of Christ because of what happens uh, previously and after this as to exactly who this is referring Acts 2.39, I believe, clears that right up. It says, For the promise is unto you, unto your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So right there, we don't have to worry about what's going on in Acts chapter 2. Was it meant for 12 people? Was it meant for 120 people? Was it meant for a few hundred of the early disciples or apostles or whatever their titles might be? I think if we're going to believe the entire Bible, then it's meant for you and for me, for our children, and for as many as the Lord our God shall call. Does that make sense? 
Is that what, are you reading what I'm reading? Amen. Amen. So what is this gift of the Holy Ghost that is given? Well, let's, uh, let's start out by reading a little bit about the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, as it is uh, the Christmas season, and more often than not, the gift would refer to uh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was given to us literally not during this time of the year, but this is during the, the time of the year where we recognize it and the whole world chooses to remember it. Um, if there's any debate in your mind about whether or not it's okay to celebrate the birth of Christ in this season, knowing full well that there's no way he was born on December 25th, the way that it breaks down to me is very simple. I, I could celebrate the birth, the fact that Jesus Christ was born any day of the week, any month out of the year. I think it's something to be celebrated every single day. Amen. If there happens to be a day, whether it's scholarly or not, that the entire world is basically reminded whether they want to be or not, they can fight against it. But in order to fight against it, they have to recognize it. And they have to recognize the fact that we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if this is a relevant day where all people are thinking in that direction and reminded in that direction, I don't care how commercialized it gets. I don't care about the fantasies and the stories that surround it. Uh, all of that can be good and bad and indifferent, and everybody has their opinions on it. And for you and your family and your household, I'm sure that you're right, because whatever you need to do in that, it, to that degree is fine. But one thing that we need to recognize, each and every one of us, is that the world is thinking about and being reminded about the birth of Jesus Christ right now. That's a good thing. So we celebrate it for that reason. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Let's go to the book of John, chapter 14, verse number 26. We know uh, John 3.16, that the Word of God says that for God so loved the world that He gave. Everybody say the gift. He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that. So just looking at it from that perspective, that real topical perspective of, of a very popular scripture that everybody knows, it seems as though maybe the gift that we should be recognizing is Jesus Christ himself. And now I realize in the Christmas season, that is technically uh, the gift that was given. That is technically the thing that we are recognizing is the birth of Jesus Christ and not the birth of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. But I want you to see how this breaks down. Mary was a spouse to Joseph. I'm moving back to Matthew 1.18, but you can stay in John 14. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Remember that. John 14.26, Christ is speaking and he says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. John 15, 26. But I want you to uh, realize out of 14, 26 that, is that the Comforter is the Holy Ghost. Amen. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from my Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. So who is giving us the Comforter? But who specifically? 
Jesus Christ is speaking. He says, when the comforters come, chapter 15, verse 26, whom I will send unto you from the father. So we get a little bit more detail in chapter 15. So it's coming from the father via Jesus Christ. You have to remember that the Bible says Jesus Christ is the great mediator between man and God. He is 100% man, but he is 100% deity, 100% God. So whatever we have to give to God flows through Christ. And whatever God has to give to us flows through Christ. He is the medium. He is the mediator. He is the conduit. So God is sending us the comforter via Jesus Christ, who says in in chapter 15, verse 26, that he is sending us the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to read Acts 2.38 again, and I'm going to pull this together for you. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift. Everybody say the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when we put all these scriptures together, what are we seeing happen? The Holy Ghost, remember Mary was pregnant via the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost gave us Jesus so that Jesus could give us the Holy Ghost. Does that make sense? So truly the gift that we are given, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, yes, it is Jesus Christ. But at the beginning of every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is one story and one story only that runs through the beginning of all four gospels. And there is only one story that I am aware of that runs through entirely, only one story that runs through all four gospels and the book of Acts, the first five books of the New Testament. The only story that is repeated in all five books is that John the Baptist came to baptize us with water, but Jesus came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of us, a lot of people within Christianity, period, have never heard of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Everybody's heard of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, but there are so many people who have not heard of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They've heard of being filled with the Spirit, maybe, or they've heard that whenever they accept Christ, that the Spirit of God comes to live within them, so it fills them, and we're aware of that. But that is not a baptism. If I were to take a cup and fill it up with water, no one would argue that I baptized that cup. It is not baptized, it is filled. That same cup would have to be dunked in a bathtub full of water and surrounded to be baptized. And what all four Gospels in the book of Acts are telling us is that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross. Yes, but it doesn't say that. To be buried for three days and three nights? Yes, but it's not what it says. To be resurrected? Yes, but that's not what it says either. To heal the blind? Yes, but it's not what it says right there. That the deaf could receive hearing? Yes, but that's not what it says right there. That the lame should walk? These are bonuses. But it says that he came specifically to baptize us with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Everybody say the gift. I want to go to Luke chapter 1, read a little bit more detail about the birth of Jesus Christ. What we celebrate, celebrate what we recognize in the Christmas season. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, you that are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast hast found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost, everybody say the gift, shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I'm going to take you to this place very quickly, just so you're cognizant, and then I'm going to come back and and preach to you about it some more. But I want you to understand what's being said right here. Without going too far into it, Jewish rabbis and Christian theologians alike agree for the most part on a theological teaching of the depth of the scripture. We don't, everybody doesn't agree on everything that, that everybody says, but everybody knows that the scriptures go a little bit deeper than what they just say on the surface. We're all aware of that, yes? The rabbis believe that every scripture has four levels of understanding. And they have a Hebrew word that represents each level and a, or a Hebrew uh, that it forms an acronym that spells another word that shows the depth of the scripture, but we could spend a whole sermon on that. I guess the, the, the quickest point I could make is that the scriptures always mean what they mean on the surface level. That's the Peshat. That's the first level of understanding. The next three levels dive into the allegorical, the application, and the mystical or the mysterious, unknown depth of the scripture for the fourth level, if you will. What I want to dive into here in uh, Luke chapter 1 and a little bit in Luke chapter 2, if you're all right this morning, I want to take you just a little bit further past the surface. Does that sound good? To dig right past the surface of the scripture, you dig into the allegorical. The scripture says of itself that every scripture is breathed by the Holy Spirit and is good for reproof, is good for teaching, is good for learning. Are we aware of that? If we believe the Bible, then we believe it wasn't written by man, but it was written by God using man. In other words, way back in the day when you were in high school, For some of you, that's a long... We're going to give you a few minutes because you're going to have to... Okay, yes. (laughs) Uh, Way back in the day, I'm sure at some point you either wrote or received a little love letter. If you didn't, you didn't miss out on much because it didn't work out for anybody in high school. 
Maybe you saw a friend. Maybe you saw this happen. Either either way, the point being, I don't think anybody ever received a little uh, love note or secret admirer note or whatever, read it and was like, this pencil really likes me because this pencil wrote me this letter or this pen wrote me such a really nice letter. The pen was a tool, right? right? But the person wrote it. The pen doesn't get any credit. When it comes to the Bible, man was a tool. God is the author. You don't ever open up the Bible and talk and have to to even consider what these men knew. I mean, you can study things like the culture and the history of the time and when they wrote it. And you can find out a little bit. You can you gather a nugget here or there. But at the end of the day, you've got to realize all of these authors, all of these men, they were just tools. They were pens and pencils in the hand of the creator. And every scripture was breathed of the Holy Ghost. These men, if they would have met you, maybe they would have loved you like a Christian should, but it doesn't matter. The book was the book was given to you because God loves you. And he is the author. Does that make sense? So we're reading here. Yes, Luke was written by Luke, or at least spoken by Luke, probably written by a scribe the way they did it back then. But it's breathed of the Holy Spirit. And just underneath the surface. There's an allegorical meaning that should speak to your life. Let me try to break it down for you in this instance. Mary, because she has become pregnant by the Holy Ghost, therefore, in this instance, although she is literally the bride of Joseph, represents the bride of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that you and I are the bride of Christ. And he is the husbandman or he is the groom. Now, none of us have physically seen Jesus, but he said, I'm going to send the comforter in my name. And when he comes to you, so when we see the Holy Spirit or feel the Holy Spirit, that's the spirit of Christ. Am I making sense? So the spirit of Christ came upon Mary. And for that instance, she was the bride of Christ. Everybody say the gift. So when I read this again, who is the bride? The church. Okay, Mary's the bride, but that represents who? The bride is us, right? The bride is the church. Everybody with me? So everybody say, that's me. Do you have access to the Holy Ghost? Yes, you do. That gift has been given. Is it possible that the Holy Ghost would ever come upon you? Do you know what happens next? Let's read The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and then the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now that sounds good for Mary, but did you realize that about yourself? Everybody say, I I am am the bride. bride. Good job, guys. (laughs) The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. I don't know if that's sinking in. Come on, come on. You are but a man. You are but a woman. You fall so short of the glory of God. And in the Christmas season, through the giving of His Son, we are reminded of Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that God has come and sent His Son that we should receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let me say it again. The Holy Ghost gave us Jesus, that Jesus could give us the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost comes upon us, we become the bride of Jesus Christ and the power of the Almighty overshadows yes, amen. you. Amen. 
That's a privilege and an honor. What do you do with it? Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. We'll call it the offspring. Do you know the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen? There, we, we've taught on that in depth. If I'm just going to give you a one-sentence breakdown of, of what that means. The many are all of you who believe in Jesus Christ. It's not the entire world because the entire world doesn't believe. Many are called, few are chosen. Who are the few? Simply the people that answer the call. If I'm going to just try to make it as simple as possible. You are being called... When that happens, the power of the highest overshadows you. And the Spirit says, that holy thing which shall be born of you. In other words, the gift that is given, the Holy Spirit is given to overshadow you, that you might become pregnant with the calling and the vision of God for your life. We'll come back to that. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. All that went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. There is so much going on in those scriptures. There is so much to this story right here. I want to try to fit it all in, but I, I feel like we're going to be going on a lot of, or I feel like we're going on a lot of rabbit trails. I might try to do it anyway. Verse number six. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus Christ is called and refers to himself by so many different titles in the New Testament. Most of them can be found in the Gospel of John. He says that he is the bread that came down from heaven and referencing to a story of the manna that fell in the Old Testament. By the way, the word manna means, what is it? Which is ironic, because Moses told all the children of Israel, when you wake up tomorrow, God is going to rain down bread out of heaven. It'll be on the ground for you to eat, because you're complaining. And they woke up in the morning, they walked out of their tents, they saw bread on the ground, and they go, oh, what is that? <laughs> We'll name it manna, which is interesting because it was prophesied for a long time. Details were given all the way down to the crucifixion, the resurrection, the nails in the hand, the cross that he would lay on, the stripes on his back, the parables he would speak, the healing that he would bring, the manner of his name, all of his titles, what he should do day in and day out for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Even the timing was given in the Old Testament. And one day, Jesus Christ was born. He walked upon the earth. 
For 12 years, they couldn't figure it out. He turned 30, started doing amazing things. And everybody goes, who is this? Just <laughs> that guy that we told you was coming for thousands of years. Just like the manna. So he says that he is the bread of heaven. The, the true bread that has come down from heaven. And that every man should eat of him. Of course, that comes into play in the Passover as well. He calls himself the light of the world. He calls himself the shepherd. He calls himself the sheep gate. He calls himself the door. He calls himself a lot of different titles, all fulfilling some role of the Messiah, usually prophesied earlier in the Old Testament. I want to key in on a couple of these specifically concerning this message. The Holy Ghost came and overshadowed Mary, and she became pregnant with her destiny. But her destiny was bigger and more mysterious than she could have possibly understood, even as she was a virgin found with child. That's pretty out there to begin with. But it was crazier, and there's no way that she could have made it happen. Because if it was up to her, she would have been in that comfortable place for nine months and given birth to that child in the place where she was at. But just so happens to be that right around the time of her birth, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, which means that he had to take a census, which means that everybody had to go back to their hometown, which means that Joseph had to take his pregnant wife, Mary, to a place called Bethlehem, which means in Hebrew, the house of bread. So she has a bun in the oven, if you will. <laughs> Pun completely intended. <laughs> and is on her way to Bethlehem, the house of bread, carrying with her the bread from heaven. Wow. Ends up giving birth there and laying him in a manger, which means in Hebrew, bread basket. So the bread that came down from heaven ended up in the bread basket, wrapped in swaddling clothes, takes a little bit more study. What you find out that swaddling clothes are, swaddling clothes are the old thrown away garments of the priesthood and the high priest uh, after they would fulfill their yearly duties. And they would take these garments of pure white linen and they would put them inside of the wicks around the temple during the festival of lights to, to be called the light of the world during Hanukkah and uh, other festivals where lights were needed. So he was literally wrapped in the wicks that they would use to create the light of the world during their feast days. So the bread from heaven was taken to the house of bread, laid in a bread basket, wrapped up as the light of the world. That is even more wow when you realize that Mary would have never gone. The point that I'm trying to make to you is, it's not just what the Holy Ghost is going to do in you. It is when he is going to do it. So if you're getting frustrated, if you feel like you've missed something, if you're wondering when it's going to happen, if you're sitting in your seat full of talents and full of gifts, if you are there with a calling and you know that you have it, if you're ready for it to be seen, if you're ready to deliver, if you're just waiting for a platform, somebody to open a door and it's getting frustrating, I want to encourage you this morning. The Holy Ghost is not just interested in what He's going to do in you. He's interested in when He is going to do it. He doesn't just want you to become pregnant with the Son of God. He wants it to happen just in time for you to be called to Bethlehem 
and fulfill a couple more prophecies along the way, if it's quite all right. Another point that we need to make. It came to pass in those days, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. All the world should be taxed. All the world. It's a big statement. Probably read over that. We probably miss it. Is it cold in here? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Somebody turn up. Just one degree. One degree makes all the difference. It's just this side of the room. Okay. Um, yeah, everybody switch. It came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Everybody say all. All. The world. Big, big, big statement. Now, if we're going to go a little bit deeper and we're going to focus in on the allegory, if not dig all the way down to the mysterious underbelly of the scripture, if you will, and figure out where, what are the secrets that are hidden, what I would see here, all the known world that time, the way the story then reads to me is... Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent. By the way, the quicker you do these things, the quicker you receive the gift, the quicker you walk in your calling. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When the gift of the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you will be overshadowed by the power of the Most High. That's amazing. When that happens, something will begin to grow in you. You will become pregnant with the vision, the destiny, the calling that is placed on your life, finally. There will be a time of growth. There will be a time where all of a sudden something about you will change. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but all of a sudden you've caught wind, you've caught a vision of what it is that you're called to do. There should be some type of notable change. People should be able to look at you at some point and almost have to ask the question, when are you due? (laughs) Not literally that question, but you understand what I mean. We see you working towards a set goal. You become pregnant of that thing. Inevitably, when that happens, it's going to be uncomfortable. It starts out being a little uncomfortable. You're not going to have the ability to carry out that vision. You are not going to have the ability to walk in that destiny. But if you stick with God, we know all things are possible through Christ, which strengthens us. Amen? Amen. No sooner will He place that destiny inside of you than all of a sudden, one word from the King will shift the entire world around you. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. The King said one word... And the entire known world at that time had to stop 
and had to change directions and had to go a certain way. Let me try it like this. So I don't know what kind of situation that you're dealing with in your life. I don't know what it is that is keeping you from walking the path of the destiny that you know that you've been called to walk. I don't know if you don't know what your calling is and if you're still on that journey, uh, don't get frustrated. If you have found out what your calling is, then I, I guarantee you as soon as you found it out, People were saying that's impossible. A virgin cannot be pregnant. She messed around on you. She did something wrong. You should get the dowry back. You should get the bride price back. You should leave her in the dust. You should find a better woman. But Joseph stayed with her. She swore up and down. And when that happens to you, people are going to be around you saying that is not possible. And if they can't convince you that it's not possible, they're going to do their best to make it impossible for you. So I don't know if if somehow you're at that place in your life where it's because of your kids or your wife or your husband or your job or school or your church or whatever the case may be. I'm sure there's something there's something for everybody that has made it seem as though it's impossible for you to carry out the calling that God has on your life. But I want to tell you right now, you are a son. You are a daughter of the most high God. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And if there is anything standing in your way, it just takes one word from the king and the entire world will shift your direction. And you won't be able to stop yourself from winding up at the place where that vision, that calling, that destiny can finally be birthed. Everybody say the gift. God is good. Here, um, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month. That's a big deal right there. In the sixth month. That gives you a time frame if you know what the sixth month is, right? Skip all the way down to... Verse number 35, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also shall that holy thing which shall be born of thee be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. So I'm not going to take you through all of the scriptures. I'm going to try to run through it with you real quickly. If you know what the sixth month is and or you catch the fact that her cousin is exactly six months pregnant, which means she'll be giving birth to John in three months, which means that if you can find out the birthday of John, you can easily find out the birthday of Jesus. If you follow that along and the way you figure out which month it is, is it earlier on or maybe a little later, it'll tell you that his his father, Zacharias, was in the temple at his time of being able to pray because he was after the priesthood of the course of Abaye. If you go back to the book of First uh, Chronicles, maybe Second Chronicles, and you read about the 24-course priesthood, uh, each course was only allowed in the temple at a certain time of the year. So if you're the course of Abaye, you can only be there at a certain time of the year. Whenever she conceived, six months later, Christ was conceived. Three months later, John was born. And then six months after that, Jesus would be born. So you just need a couple of little details to put in the time frame according to Luke chapter 1 to figure out when the birthday of Jesus Christ is. To try not to make it too long and drawn out, I'll just let you know, uh, when you do all of that, the birthday of Jesus Christ ends up falling on one of the seven major festivals of the Lord, which is not coincidental because everything else that he did, or a lot of things that he did, fulfilled these feasts. He was crucified 
Um, they tried to kill him many times. He said, no man can take my life, but I lay it down freely. And he kept saying, it's not my time. It's not my time. He was crucified on Passover for a reason because he needed to fulfill the prophecy of being the Passover lamb. Also, uh, as that uh, feast was ending, he was buried on a feast called unleavened bread, uh, where they would eat bread that's striped and pierced, just like he was striped and pierced without leaven as he is without sin, wrapped in white linen as he was wrapped in white linen when he was taken down from the cross. Three days later would be the resurrection on a feast called first fruits, and where they would uh, wake up early and wave two loaves before God and celebrate the first fruits and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brought together the Gentiles and the Jews and of two separate people made one great nation under God, a great bride of Jesus Christ. So all of this that he did fulfilled so many prophecies. So it would only follow that he would be his birth would be at an appointed time. The festival that his birth falls on is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now we read earlier where the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus. You read a little bit later that she gives birth and doesn't give him his name until eight days after he's born. The reason she doesn't give him his name until eight days after he's born is because a male child in the Jewish culture doesn't receive his name until he is circumcised. And you cannot circumcise a male child until the eighth day. First of all, because the Bible said so way back in the days of Abraham before they knew what they were doing. Second of all, because now modern science says so or else the kid could bleed to death. So they didn't know that back then, but God told them and somehow they had it right because vitamin K increases in the body eight days after you're born and vitamin K coagulates the blood. Without the amount of vitamin K on the eighth day, you cannot circumcise a child. He might bleed to death. How did Abraham know that? Obviously, God told him that. So eight days later, he got his name. Why is that significant? Because most of the major festivals, there are seven of them, but they fall underneath three canopies called... Uh, in the springtime, Passover actually encapsulates unleavened bread and first fruits and can be referred to just as Passover. Pentecost is its own feast in the middle. And then you have uh, the Feast of Tabernacles doesn't necessarily include the other two festivals in the fall time, but it's the only one that they're commanded uh, to come be a part of in the Old Testament to travel, so on and so forth. Point being, of these major feasts, they are almost always celebrated for seven days. Tabernacles was the same way. It was a festival celebrated for seven days. But then all of a sudden, God said, you know what? I'm enjoying this festival so much that I want to tack on an extra day called the eighth day. And that specific day, I want that to be a celebration of its own. And uh, the Hebrew name is escaping me. I'll think of it in a minute. But in English, it means rejoicing in the Torah, which means rejoicing in the word of God. Now, the Jewish people were commanded, our worship team to go ahead and come up. The Jewish people were commanded that during this time of year, they were supposed to leave their dwelling place, go outside in their yard and build a tabernacle. And that tabernacle had to be covered in the top Uh, with leaves from palm trees it was supposed to be, but they did different kinds of leaves. And the roof was specifically had to be designed where you could see at least three stars out of the roof so they weren't completely covered. The idea was to be reminded that God took care of his people in the wilderness and that he is their covering. Whenever they would go outside in their yard and build a tabernacle, guess what the tabernacle looks like? Looks like that. Over there to your left, my right. What we call a manger. And they would have to go outside and live 
primarily in that tabernacle for the time of the festival. So when a decree went out to tax the entire world, and we have the story of Joseph and Mary coming and finding no room in the inn, and people tell the story about how they went to their relative's house, and they went here and they went there, and nobody had any room for them, and they had to go uh, out in a, in a barn or whatever. Uh, the truth of the matter is, when they went out into that manger, more than likely where they were going was to live with somebody who said that I, I, I'm not living in my house right now because of, nor were any Jews, because of the festival, but you're welcome to stay outside and here in my tabernacle area with me, manger-like area. That is very significant because two things. First of all, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the tabernacle of God among men. In other words, He is the tent-like structure. He is the temple that within which the Spirit of God dwells. So the fact that he was given to us on tabernacles is a big deal for that one reason. But what I find to be an even cooler thing is that all of a sudden in some year, call it zero, call it one BC, call it whatever you want to call it, whatever year it was. All of Israel was on the move for this taxation. All of this was going on with Mary and Elizabeth. They were all out in their tabernacles celebrating the goodness of God. For seven days, and only the shepherds in the area of Bethlehem knew that the Messiah had been born, who the Bible calls the Word of God wrapped in flesh. Everybody say the gift. The Word of God wrapped in flesh. Now, the rest of the world didn't know. The rest of the Jews had no idea that he was already born. The wise men, by the way, didn't show up for a couple of years. So this wasn't big worldwide news yet. Only the shepherds that were there in Bethlehem, the angels that came down to witness it, had any idea. But God being so good, not wanting the rest of the world to miss out on the celebration, had this happen on the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jesus Christ could be laid in that manger for seven days and not receive his name, but all of a sudden, on the eighth day where he could be circumcised, they're going into the eighth day of a seven-day festival, which has its own name called Rejoicing in the Torah, or the Word of God, and then the Word of God, wrapped in flesh, who is Jesus Christ, receives his name, and the rest of the world doesn't know, but they wake up early and start shouting and dancing and rejoicing in God's Word. Meanwhile, there's a little group of shepherds and angels in a little backwards town called Bethlehem that are rejoicing over the actual literal Word of God, who is wrapped in flesh, being born right then. But God had the whole world celebrating the gift that he was giving his only son coming down from heaven whose idea it would be to turn around and give you and I the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yes. That all happened by design. That's right, amen. So I want to leave you with this, this Christmas season, speaking to you about the gift, the greatest gift. God is good. Amen. The greatest gift that can be given. <laughs> I'll make it all the way through it. The greatest gift that can be given, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of the Holy Ghost. You were put here by design. You were born for such a time as this. The Bible says 
that if he's called you, he's predestined you. I'm going to talk to you about that word for just a second. I promise we're closing. Predestined is not some grandiose idea of God naming every person before the world ever existed and deciding whether they should go to heaven or hell. Predestined is a simple word that means there was a destiny put on your life before you were born. But he says those that he predestined, he he only predestined those who he foreknew. Which that means, the Bible says he foreknows everybody. So he's able to look at your life and see what choices you're going to make on your own. Not forced. And as a result of the choices that you are going to make in your heart condition, basically whether you're ever going to accept him or not, gives him the ability to place a destiny on the chronological timeline of your existence. You might have run into it already. You might not have. You might have run into part of it, and there's more coming. But it was placed there, and the Bible says he knew the number of hairs on your head before you were even in your mother's womb. If he knows that, he certainly knows the choices you're going to make. He certainly knows the destiny that he has for your life. My point in telling you that is this Christmas season, just as much as his son was born by design and brought into the world in the Feast of Tabernacles for a reason and given his name on the eighth day during the rejoicing of the Torah for a reason, born in the house of bread for a reason, laid in a bread basket for a reason, wrapped up like the light of the world for a reason, given by the Holy Ghost so that he could turn around and give us the Holy Ghost, all for reasons, just as much as all of that was done with the design in mind, so was your birth and so is every day of your life. The Holy Ghost, my friend, has been yearning to come upon you. And the moment you accept that, you will be overshadowed by the power of the Most High. When that happens, you will become pregnant with the destiny that God has for your life. I don't know where you're at, all individuals, in that process of time, with those steps. You're somewhere. And the sooner that you realize it and the sooner you accept it. And maybe you've already had it in you. Maybe you're at that place where everybody's telling you that it's impossible. And what you need is one word from the king. You need everybody that's taxing you to to be taxed. So we can start going the direction that you need to go. just takes one word. So I want to encourage you this holiday season. He gave us a gift when he gave us his son. His son gave us a gift when he gave us the Holy Ghost. The world will receive yet another gift the moment that you start to walk in your calling and in your destiny. Remember that. Every present that you unwrap from underneath the tree, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, every time you receive a gift, I want you to remember, God gave you this gift so that you could be a gift to somebody else.